Hello everyone and welcome to the EdTech Podcast. Today I am discussing with two fellow members of the podcast, Shravani and Joanne. We are going to be discussing about all things EduTech and more specifically about how it feels to be part of this emerging sector, how to work well in diverse teams and what the impact of the new technologies will have on the sector. So, without further ado, here's our episode with Shravan and Joanne. Would you like to please introduce yourself and tell us about your journey to becoming an EduTech student? Shravani, would you like to start? Sure, yeah. Um, so, I'm Shravani. I come from India and I have a background in psychology, actually. And then I deviated a little bit from my uh, course of studies and started working as a language translator and corporate trainer and worked in that field for about six years. Um, so when I was working as a translator and trainer, that's when like I first got into touch with uh, creating small learning units for my employees or like imparting some sort of uh, cultural trainings, some language related trainings. And that is the first time I had to sort of design uh, trainings or lesson plans by myself, uh, which is where I started getting interested in the whole creating a learning unit aspect of uh, the field. And it really piqued my interest in the field of education and then education technology. And that is how I decided to then fully transition into the field of edutech. And I found out about this program when I was in India. I applied for it. And then here we are. Hello, guys. Um, hey. Welcome Hello. to the new episode of the EdTech Podcast. And today, our guests are uh, Joanne and Shravani. How are you guys? Good, thank you. Thank you for having us on the podcast. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing great. And uh, what about you, Joanne? So, hey, I'm Joanne, for those who do not know, and I'm originally from the United States. And so originally, um, I had a bachelor's degree in special education from The Ohio State University, and I first began my job as an intervention specialist in 2020. Well, as you can imagine, in 2020, there are a lot of things going on in the educational world. And as a first year teacher, it was very overwhelming at first. And a lot of my time was spent, you know, looking up these educational technologies that I can integrate into my mm -hmm. teaching because our school building was physically too small that we could not function unless we taught remotely. So my entire year was online. And so in that time, you know, I designed a lot of courses. I learned a lot about different educational technologies that are out there, um, integrated different platforms like Schoology. Um, so yeah, it was a really interesting time and it really brought my curiosity to edutech to life. Like I thought it was so interesting and I really enjoyed designing courses and, you know, like learning more about our learning management system. So I was like, you know, why not like explore this more? And um, I decided to take this little gap time after I taught to do some au pairing in Germany. And I realized that I really enjoyed the country and I found an edutech program that was there. And I figured, you know, why not? Let's do it. So now I'm here. Good. And does anyone care about me? Should I talk about myself? Yes, <laughs> yeah, of I'm course. Glad I'm just so crazy. So... <laughs> 
probably you guys heard me last uh, episode, but my name is Piros. I'm from uh, Greece. I am uh, originally a teacher. I teach uh, secondary education, humanities, so Greek, uh, history, um, literature, stuff like that. Uh, but I uh, was always interested in technology. I, I had friends who were studying physics and programming and, you know, uh, they were showing me a bit. But um, yeah, also for me, the pandemic was a period where I, I, I was forced to, to go online. I, I was working with uh, some schools in some disadvantaged areas and it, it became very evident that, uh, you know, the infrastructure for people who were not so well off it was not there and um, yeah, I genuinely became interested in online education and um, before I joined the program, I was actually working as a web designer. I was not doing anything too special, but uh, it was a good segue for me to to transition from teaching uh, to a full on instructional design and mm-hmm. online education. So yeah, that's about me. Second question. Right now in our program, we are learning a lot of uh, new stuff. What has stood out to you? Joanne, would you like to say something? Um, yeah, so what's really stuck out to me is all of the new like tech skills that we're learning. So coming from an educational background, um, as you can imagine, coding is not my strongest point. And what's really cool about the EduTech program is that I've been learning more practical skills like coding to incorporate into my um, toolkit for skills for instructional design. And I'm creating a lot of cool things just like with basic coding, um, like HTML and um, with Python. You can really mm-hmm. make some really cool things with that. So yeah. it's been awesome. And Savan, for you? I think the thing that has stood out for me the most is the really good blend of um, theoretical and practical approach towards the whole instructional design or education process. We had some really uh, good foundational theoretical uh, courses in the initial semesters. And then we also went on and had like a hands-on practical approach to creating Uh, learning nuggets or to conducting our own experiments, which is, I think, what's also needed when you work in the field or in the industry. So I think the blend of both is a really unique aspect of the EduTech program. Yeah, I definitely agree with with both. For me, something that also our fellow students are not talking about too much, but it was very new to me and very useful was... uh, the emphasis on research methods. For me, when I was in university, I had some classes, but it was not a priority. I don't know, Joanne, if you guys had a lot of statistics or research methods um, for, um, I guess, education uh, at the university. But for me, it was not a focus so much. And it's been really, really useful. I know psychology, Ravani, probably you guys. Uh, yeah, we we live and breathe it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so edutech it's a combination of basically three disciplines: it's education and technology, and also cognitive sciences, uh, which means that uh, a lot of times we have to collaborate with people and engage with colleagues who belong to other disciplines. Have you encountered any challenges studying 
the university and uh, if yes how did you overcome those challenges working with people from other domains i wouldn't necessarily term them as challenges um but more as like opportunities because like you said we all come from such diverse backgrounds all of us have like a different portfolio of knowledge and of skills that we bring with us so especially when we are col collaborating or working together it's um it's often the case that all of us have varying levels of experience or prior knowledge about a specific topic but that is exactly where this uh, give and take comes into the picture where if i'm more proficient in one particular thing i can just take over that and sort of mm -hmm. lead that but also at the same time share my expertise or share my in, my knowledge with my um, fellow colleagues and it works the other way around too if i am not proficient at something i can be completely open and honest and say that hey this is not my area of expertise but i know some of you guys have had prior experience in that so do you mind just maybe uh guiding me through it yeah. or like mm -hmm. taking over and then uh, maybe showing us how to do it and i think that's a really useful aspect that we can have in this program because i don't think it's possible for any one single person to have all of the skills required or all yeah. of the knowledge required at every given point of time to create something or to manage a whole you know learning unit or something like that so i think it's more of like an opportunity for exchange while it may seem challenging in the moment in the long run i, I do see it as a good opportunity yeah i think it also reflects um, what we would see in the real world. I mean, just think about how we work in teams at our jobs. Um, we all have different experts coming in and addressing one portion of of our project. And yeah, you really need to collaborate with those people to create a product that is proficient in all of the areas that you're looking for. So you can't just have a product that you know looks really nice. You also need a product that functions, that has great code. And so when you have these experts come in, it's really cool to see what you can cook up together. And I definitely see that a lot of like um, with my own teams. Mm -hmm. For sure. For me, you know, maybe something that could be a challenge in this is that when the teams are so diverse and everyone is so specialized, it's a bit easy to become pigeonholed. You know, like, oh, I am the teacher, so I'm going to do all the teaching stuff and uh, all the technical stuff is going to go to the technical person. And, you know, sometimes it can work out, can work out very well. But um, I, I think it's also important to try to kind of surpass it, try mm -hmm. to uh, find the thing that you are liking and maybe that your teammate is liking. And even though it's a bit counterintuitive to force each other to do the thing that they are not so good at doing you know what i mean so for example I, i've had times where i work with somebody who was a computer science major and uh, we would actually kind of try to okay i i would say i would take the tech the more technical stuff and you take the more uh, theoretical stuff and sometimes a bit more work but i think in the end again it it pays off um yeah, yeah. I, I also agree with what what you said Spiros, especially when we are working under like 
pressing deadlines or yeah. you really have time constraints for some projects it's the easier way to just be like let me just stick to what i know best and we'll be done with it quicker and within the time but then like you said it's also very important to stay cognizant of the fact that not everyone is on the same page and if i really want to um gain something out of this program and to sort of exploit uh this program to its fullest value i do need to venture into things that might not seem comfortable at first but might turn out to be really useful in the long term yeah for sure yeah and i think with the courses that you take that also kind of naturally occurs so even though i am like from the teaching background and i live more in educational theory and um you know making things look pretty sometimes you know, when I take in courses um, that require a lot of computer science, there's not really room to just be the educational expert. And yeah. I don't really try to be an educational expert either in that um, course, but more of like, okay, you know, I'm going to have my part. I'm just going to focus on this and, you know, I'm going to keep working, check in with the people who already have um, some of the knowledge that I'm lacking to make sure I'm on the right path and communicate on what I can be doing better and how we can make a product that is really great. For sure. Now that we are talking about the, uh, you know, edtech stuff and everything, I will have a small game. I'm going to be giving you a topic and you're going to be telling me thumbs up or thumbs down. I'm going to be talking about a current trend or maybe a fad, let's see. And you're going to be telling me if there is value in it or not. Sounds good? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. First one. How do you feel about immersive learning experiences with AR or VR, augmented reality or virtual reality? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Mm, okay, Joanne is, uh, you cannot see here, but Joanne is in between. Shravani? Also in between. Also. I have more of a neutral stance towards. Um, this topic towards immersive learning experiences with AR and VR. I think we are um, still in the baby stages of this to really to really pass a judgment on it. And there is some incredible work going on in both of these fields and in the context of education. And it can go really well. But then again, um, it should I just feel it shouldn't be done just for the sake of doing it or just for the sake that it's like a new technology that is seeming appealing to a lot of people at first. So, yeah, I I would refrain from passing yeah. a judgment at this point of time. Yeah. Yeah. Like something that I've been thinking about with um, what you were saying, Shav, is that we really need to be using technology if it makes sense. Like, there are so many ways that I can see um, AR and VR learning to be very beneficial. You know, it really can give people opportunities um, to do a lot of cool hands-on practical knowledge that they wouldn't have another chance to um, attempt in another form, you know, like with surgery and such. However, I also think about, you know, some of the gimmicks that we're seeing, especially at our K through 12 classrooms where 
Um, well, it definitely can be a really great tool. Um, you know, sometimes it doesn't necessarily make the most sense to deliver content in this way. And so we really need to be thinking critically on, you know, how can we apply this in a way that benefits our learners? Yeah, I, I think I'm actually going to be a bit more um, harsh and I'm going to put the thumbs down for now. Really? Uh, I don't know, you know, the Quest Pro, like the, um, the Meta VR glasses. I think mm -hmm. we are on the fourth, fifth model. I'm not even sure. Probably somebody's going to correct me. But uh, every time they release a new model, they have some salesperson saying, oh, this is going to revolutionize education and you can go to the Colosseum in 2000 uh, years ago and you're going mm -hmm. to experience. And I have still not seen it. It's still not close. It still looks kind of bad. And I think it's m more trouble than anything. And it's also kind of expensive. Um, it can be fun. You know, I, I went to my cousin's house uh, now in the holidays and uh, we're playing he has um, a Nintendo and we were playing tennis and we we're playing bowling and it was okay, but I'm not going to be like, I learned how to play bowling. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, with a Nintendo. So, yeah, for me, it's a thumbs down for now. Yeah, especially no. with what you said as well, like, I would see real value if uh, these learning experiences are scalable at some point in the future, because like you said, they're at right now at least they're super expensive and if it's not even going to reach the number of learners that that is intended to reach and if it's going to be just an expensive way of doing something that can be done easily in an alternative way and yeah maybe not so much maybe thumbs down okay. yeah but I mean, when I think about it, like in the future, though, like I think about these experiences that you really need to have, like some of the hands on practical approach, like even I'm thinking like uh, with driver's ed, right? Like yeah. you don't really want to put like a kid <laughs> in a car with no absolutely no driving experience. It would be such a great like, um, you know, first timers like have their own VR equipment or you know, take the wheel and get some practice in before they go into that real car. Um, so I do mm. see there is value, but I can also agree with you guys that some of the gimmicky stuff that we see in classrooms, you know, they really are overpriced and really not necessary and beneficial for our learners. And it really just depends on your target audience. I mean, I would imagine that the VR would be more beneficial, you know, to professionals who need that hands-on yeah experience you know practicing complex procedures with their hands um you know so they don't have to attempt it on like uh real people yeah but i also yeah like it depends really where we're going to go with this technology how is it going to be marketed but we'll see okay next one gamification thumbs up or thumbs down i i'm in between i'm in between can I, okay. can I start? I was also kind of hyped. Uh, last interview uh, we did with uh, Paul Kirchner, I asked him and he was completely against it. He told me it's like, it's not uh, the best way to do things and it's kind of gimmicky, casino-like, kind of psychological tricks uh, that don't really work. And he told me, I remember, he told me, with gamification, you don't force people to learn, you force them to game. Like you're not putting them in a situation to learn, but you're putting them in a situation to 
win a game and he was not feeling like this was beneficial for the learner. To be honest, I, I don't know if I agree completely with it because I've seen some benefits myself, like some of those gamified um, educational applications. They, they have actually kept my attention. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm in between. I'm a maybe now. Mm-hmm. What do you guys feel like? I would, uh, I do see um, why it's a controversial topic and why why you may be on the fence because we then go back to the, to our old controversy of gamification versus game-based learning and essentially like you don't want your learners to just play a game and focus too much on the game but you want to like adapt your learning material in a way that it seems gamified i do see potential in the gamification however it especially in terms of like keeping your learners engaged keeping the learn learning experience fun for them mm-hmm. um not overloading them too much cognitively i do see some real potential there and of course there's a chance there's a risk of over gamifying everything but that's when you as an instructor or like a learning specialist needs to come into the picture and say hey this is enough or like this is too much gamification but yeah like just going off gamification itself i do see some potential in terms of learner engagement and yeah like also retaining the information agree with you Shav a lot I think that is going to be a very big element in the future of e-learning and I don't know like I think too we need to also consider gamification not necessarily you know thinking of like the game you know like Duolingo for example but like also taking a step back and thinking about how we can just put small elements in um to our training courses i mean i remember i designed a training course for the replication crisis which is a pretty Mm -hmm. interesting topic and it's very abstract so we're trying to think of ways to also make it more concrete for our learners and we just added like these little progress bars for one of our Mm -hmm. scenarios and so that didn't necessarily make it into like you know a full-blown like you know boom boom plus 100 points Woo! <laughs> yeah. but you know it just kind of added to the fun right because you're trying to achieve these goals of these progress bars and you start to realize that the decisions that you're making towards your research can either help or hinder each bar so i think you know that adds to some of the engagement and it doesn't have to be very like big and flashy but um you know it's just very nice and helpful to have with uh keeping our learners engaged yeah I, I agree with the sentiment. I think the main idea behind the gamification trend is that education does not have to be miserable. You know, mm-hmm. like this idea of ni- 1950s cold classroom and everyone is silent and they are uh, writing the test and this is learning. I think uh, I think we are well beyond that. And yeah, the idea of just making everything sterilized and on point and without any other external stimuli, I, I don't think it makes any sense. But I do think that you can over gamify, as you as you said. Yeah. 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 I'm really curious to see if we'll start to see like gamification fatigue in the future too. Yeah. Just like from some, I think of some of the apps, and I probably shouldn't name any, but like that 
they used to be really fun and engaging with like their gamification elements, but now they've taken a little too far, and I'm kind of like, oh, you know, mm. do I really need like this extra gamification feature? Not really, because mm. I'm starting to get kind of tired of this game. I just want to learn new words. So exactly, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and like we like we say with any sort of tech or media in education, not everything, not all of your learning material needs to be gamified, mm-hmm. but just having those sort of little elements, like you said, Joanne, here and there, I think goes a long way. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's go to next one. A bit more technical, I would say, mm-hmm. but still a pretty big trend. Learning analytics, thumbs up, thumbs down, or in between? I would say thumbs up. Okay. Um, yeah, I I don't have pretty strong opinions about it, but I don't see I don't see the con of having these learning analytics in 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 your learning experiences, so to say. I mean, a big con can be privacy, you know, like it can be mm-hmm. how much time did you watch? How many hours did you spend mm-hmm. on the computer? Maybe browsing something other than your LMS. Uh, I think there is an <laughs> element of, okay, how much is too much tracking mm-hmm. of a student? Mm-hmm. Because when we're talking about, I think, learning analytics, I think it becomes kind of like, uh, how Instagram or like these big uh, platforms track their customers so mm-hmm. they they know exactly how many times you scroll how much time you spend looking at something I, I don't think that the average LMS or the average school has the capacity to do that but let's say in 20-30 years if they do have the capacity do we want something like this or is a bit counterproductive because it can give you answers on, you know, uh, for example, all of the students maybe skipped this video or all of the students were um, de- scrolled through a specific text. So maybe we should look at the text, but at the same time, it's like, how much is too much? I, I, I'm going to be thumbs up for learning analytics because I think it can open a pretty useful door that uh, r- right now it's closed. Uh, right now, the biggest thing we are tracking at schools is standardized test performance and mm-hmm. it's like and probably uh, school attendance these are the two main things like if you pass the exams and if you pass um, and if you come to school regularly we assume that you have learned but um, from personal experience as a teacher and as a student also previously I know that sometimes you can pass through class and never learn a thing so there is a need to develop new tools to track performance and to monitor progress. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty tricky topic. Yeah, I was just thinking about it too. I didn't put a thumbs up or a thumbs down yet um, for our listeners who can't see us right now. Um, <laughs> For me, yeah, it really is one of those gray areas where I, like in practice, I've really liked it, but also like when I think about it a lot in theory, like with some of the privacy issues, I'm also kind of like, hmm, I don't know, but 
I do agree with you, Spiros. I think there's so much potential in it um, with how we measure learning um, and in opening up that door, um, especially with the feedback that we can get. You know, if students aren't looking at those videos that we post or if they aren't opening up these assignments, you know, we can also think about like, so like, what's the problem here? Like, is it the problem that the video sound engaging? Is the problem an access issue? So what I saw a lot is that for a lot of my students, um, because I was an intervention specialist, a lot of my students had disabilities, that it was an access issue. Like when I didn't see that their um, tabs were open or if they were somewhere else, sometimes they just got lost navigating. Um, so I think that some of the information can be used in some really productive ways. And it also like showed me, you know, like, oh, this is where I need to like jump in and help them out, um, which is really great. But yeah, there also are concerns of privacy. And I will say even like when we have this information, um, I don't fully know if someone learned something, whether they watched the video or not, you know, do I have the additional information of what they also looked up? Um, so I think there's still a lot of room for improvement too with how we use learning analytics, even for measuring learning. But it is a cool thing and I do hope to see more of it developed in the future. Yeah, just to add to what both of you said, like I uh, completely agree with the fact that it provides a great feedback mechanism to educators and instructors, especially which maybe is not uh, available at the moment with other methods of tracking performance. And I think that also would help in not having the education system or even the um, learning materials stagnant at some point, because that is the case right now, I feel, where um, because there is not enough feedback given back to the instructors, a lot of the information or a lot of uh, the learning material becomes stagnant over a period of years and it's not updated. It's not changed because they think, okay, students are passing their courses, which means they are learning, but nobody is really diving deep into uh, these sort of things which learning analytics can provide to us. So that is where I see the benefit in that. Well, to add to what you said, Shrav, um, there was something that was discussed a lot in my bachelor's program, and that was that there is a huge gap between our research practices in educational sciences and what's applied to the classroom. And because we are always growing in the research world, you know, we're always finding new things. Um, it takes a while to incorporate those new things into our schools because, um, you know, we've talked just about some of the challenges like costs and such. And so by the time we've incorporated some of these new techs into school, we're already on to the next new big thing in the research world. So I think that um, some of the reasons that we see this is just that there's this gap here and we should work on closing that too. So that when we do have these technologies um, to change education, that they're being implemented sooner rather than later. So we have more feedback that's appropriate. So I think the last one ties pretty well to learning analytics and how to track performance and it's uh, AI in the classroom. Did the ChatGPT kill the essay? Can you give <laughs> homework anymore or is it, uh, is it all uh, useless now? 
what how do you feel about AI in the classroom good or bad I don't think it's in between I think I think this one is good or bad to be honest really I think <laughs> yeah to be honest maybe I, I'm not sure maybe it's in between also but for, for me as of now I'm going to put a thumbs up I it has really helped me and I think that uh, if the biggest concern is uh, cheating then I, I am one of those people, I, I believe that if a student wants to cheat, they can cheat. You know, che cheating existed before AI, before computers, before anything. So I I think that, yeah, the, right now the biggest con concern with AI in the classroom is um, using ChatGPT and just writing your essay like this. But uh, for people who, you know, uh, want to dive deep into a topic, and they kind of know how to use these tools, I think it can be extremely beneficial. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big fan of it. How do you mm -hmm. feel? It would be a thumbs up for me as well. I, I completely agree with everything you said. And I do see uh, AI as being a really useful tool for teachers and students alike. It's just, I think we are in that phase right now where we have been used to some educational methods and then AI has sort of disrupted it and we are in that phase of realigning and adapting yeah. ourselves to it and I think if we embrace it more than reject it it's going to help us uh, a long way. I would also say that AI um, in the classroom definitely a thumbs up but also AI outside the classroom and other learning scenarios uh, maybe self-regulated learning, things like that. Is That's also a thumbs up for me. Um, I also see great potential in like using AI, in a student using AI by themselves when they are learning at home and they want to have sort of immediate feedback. They want to test their knowledge. They want to dive deeper into a topic, uh, numerous such possibilities. Yeah. So yeah, thumbs up from me as well. Okay, for me, I would say it's like in between, in between and a thumbs up because <laughs> I think there is so many good things that comes from AI in the classroom if you use it appropriately. And I think that what we really need to do with AI is we need to approach it as how can AI help us and not necessarily how can AI do everything for us. Yeah. And so I think if you teach students about how to prompt the AI, that's really important so that they can use it um, to help them. Like I definitely use it in my studies, but I don't have the AI write me my essay. You know, I don't have the AI do all the things that I need to be specifically doing. I just may ask for suggestions, maybe do a quick grammar check, um, stuff like that. I think we come into the issue though when people assume that AI is going to be, you know, teaching us writing and stuff like that. I think there's still a lot of benefits that we have human instructors for that and using AI to help us. Um, you know, I'm around in teacher spaces online and there's a lot of teachers right now who are pretty upset with how many AI copied papers that they're getting. And yes, for people who are listening, it is very obvious when you write um, your paper with an AI. Like, I've seen the papers, you know, as someone who uses AI a lot, I can, I can tell, I can tell. Um, and this isn't even going into the controversy with AI checkers, because by the way, I just want to make this very clear to everybody. 
um, your AI checkers still are not on the level that they need to be where you can start like accusing people of cheating with them. Yeah. Um, but I will say it's still pretty easy to tell when you write a paper with AI, even without the AI checker. Um, because of the language model tendencies, it's very repetitive. Um, but that's a whole nother discussion. Um, so I think that right now we're just kind of in this gray area, this chaos zone where we have these really cool um, AI tools, but we have that gap between our research and our um, field where we need to kind of help our field uh, apply these cool tools in a way that's helpful to students. Because I really love AI and I really love seeing what it does in the classroom, but there is a way to kind of abuse it and exploit it. And I think it's unproductive for everybody. It's unproductive for teachers and unproductive for learners. Um, if you're using AI to completely do your papers, for example. So I have lots of feelings about AI. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for the fifth question. In the field of edtech in general, is there anything that excites you that uh, you would like to talk about to share with our listeners? Um, yeah, on the whole, I think like when we speak about education in today's age, there is a lot of information already available in the public domain. So like having the information or like the lack of information, I wouldn't say is a problem. The key uh, like focus area for me at least, is how to make sense of that information. And because there is such vast information available, that also becomes like a key point for educators that how can they exactly make sense of that information to disseminate it to their learners. And with that, what fascinates me in the field of edutech is this inclination towards micro learning and micro credentialing. And I think it's what started as an industry trend essentially, but now it's also being increasingly picked up by institutions, by universities overall. And I think when that goes hand in hand with also skill-based learning, uh, there is a huge uh, scope for educators and for instructors and people generally working in the edutech field to do something in this arena. I think most of us have experienced this gap when we come out of the university between like what we have learned in our traditional study programs versus what is actually needed on the job, what kind of information or knowledge or skills are actually needed on the job. And I see these micro learnings or these micro credentials with a skill focus as a way of like bridging this gap. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a great potential in that. Um, Industries have been doing it since a little while and universities are also now um, favoring this sort of these sort of courses in their curriculum. So, yeah, that is one aspect that has really fascinated me. Yeah, I think that um, that trend with micro credentials is so interesting, especially since I've seen some of that already in some of the K through 12 schools when I was um, doing my bachelor's degree. Um, so I think we will be seeing a lot of that in the future. Um, how does it work me, in a, I'm sorry, but how oh. does it micro credentialing? How does it work in a, in a school? Um, I, I have not experienced it. I'm just curious. 
Yeah, so I wouldn't say it's like the traditional like micro credentialing that you see with like industries, but I've noticed that when I was teaching um, in Ohio, we had these seals and that um, students could learn them if they did specific things like there was like a field learning one where like if you did a lot of field service you could get the seal and you needed to have like a certain amount of seals to graduate and granted this was for students who are like graduating like i think 2022 and onward so like i wasn't like fully um familiar with it because i was about to leave for germany but um this idea that you kind of concentrate on something um and so you could do like um, a STEM seal, I believe, um, really like any small element, I guess, of like your high school experience could be put into like the seal. And I know that's like not necessarily the same thing as the micro credentialing we see specifically in industry, but, yeah, um, but you know, a... that kind of falls into it, you know, like you're getting those smaller elements that, you know, if you get a certain amount of those, then you can qualify for graduating. And that's just one part of the graduation. Um, application but you know it's a part of it now so i thought that was very fascinating cool for me um something that i recently saw that's not completely related to edutech but uh, it has a lot of implications for educational practices that i i found out that um i think in south korea there is a, a research uh, group that um, basically create an ai that can Using just a photo of an eye, they can pretty confidently um, diagnose autism in adults, mm -hmm. and it's um, it's an objective measure of uh, diagnosis of uh, autism, and it's something that was really lacking when I was practicing, and just in general, you know, um, it's very important to be confident in, as a teacher that mm -hmm. uh, the diagnosis that uh, your student uh, is getting is um, you know valid and that um, this way you can actually uh, create an educational plan that can work best for your student yeah i do have to say i think that educational technology is really going to be such a blessing to special ed coming up uh, I was just thinking, you know, how easy it is now to kind of make more personalized learning journeys. I know that there are moves for um, AI tutoring systems that kind of personalize your um, questions based off of your needs. And I think we could really take that and use that to make some really cool intervention in special education. And also just with the eye tracking too, I think we can do so many more interventions even. It's not just diagnosing, but also um, interventions with students who have learning disabilities to help them um, with processing and dyslexia, for example. There's just so much promise with it. And I really think that's going to really take off in special education in the upcoming years. Completely agree. So last question. And um... Yeah, well, whoever wants to start. So, yeah, for anyone who is considering maybe uh, studies in educational technology or for somebody looking to find a job in the field, would you have any advice? Advice? Yeah, so I think a really big one is to think of the field as something that is accessible to almost anyone. Well, really anyone, it's not even almost, it's really anyone. And that there's so many different pathways to getting here. 
um, just hearing about my classmates' stories on how uh, they got into educational technology is super interesting, and it really is an interdisciplinary field. So you have computer scientists, you have psychologists, you have teachers coming together, you have people from HR, like really any field you can find. Um, someone has been in and has noticed, hey, I really think this would be really cool in going into educational technology and really just focus on getting those practical skills, learn how to use some of the technology that you may be using. Um, so if you're going into instructional design, for example, look at what type of software that is commonly used right now, but also be adaptive because a lot of the technologies do change. So you just want to keep learning, just keep going. Um, and also, with it being such an accessible field to all, your path doesn't have to look the same as the person next to you. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if you find, oh, hey, this is a really cool, like, micro course or something, like, go ahead, try it, do it. Um, you never really know where you're going to end up. And so, you know, just keep going and don't worry about a specific path to take. If you are really interested in educational technology, I'm sure you're going to make it. Yeah, I think Joanne summarized it really well, uh, the whole essence of edutech actually. And I do agree with whatever you said. Edutech is, I think, such an interesting field and also the need of the future. But at the same time, it's such a vast field that no matter what kind of discipline you come from or what kind of background you have, you can easily find your niche in it and couple it with your prior experience to do something in the field of edutech. I think there are so many pathways to choose from. So I would say like if somebody is on the fence about whether to pursue edutech or not, I would just nudge them in favor of it. Yeah. yeah. And in the world of edutech, you know, just doing a small course or um, just, you know, trying out that coding, you know, it's not a huge commitment. Like, that's the cool thing, too, about some of the new edu tech that we're coming out with that, you know, you really can try it and see how you like it. But I just would always say just keep going, you know, keep mm -hmm. learning. That's always good advice. To be honest, I don't have anything more to add. I would just say maybe just be uh, be sure that uh, education is uh, something that you are interested in because um, it's a field that uh, you will always have to learn and develop new skills people are expecting a lot from their instructors and uh, it's best if you are on top of your of your stuff So that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to suggest any topics or any guests, please feel free to send us a message on social media. See you next time.